Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up another week already. Coming up on our program today, this week we got uh, updates on storm damage in North Carolina and Georgia. Today we'll get an update on the impact of Hurricane Michael on agriculture in the state of Florida. That's coming up today. We're also going to talk trade with Nick Giordano, who is the Vice President and Council Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. have some uh, interesting developments around the world when it comes to our um, pork exports. We will talk about that. And we're also going to take a look ahead as we continue our series on planning for 2019, look at... um, weed resistance, a growing issue for agriculture. We'll focus especially for wheat growers on today's program. Right now, we're going to start things off with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be here. Hey, I thought interesting comments from um, Andrew Wheeler at EPA saying that they have the authority to go ahead and expand ethanol sales. They don't need Congress. Uh, this is what the renewable fuel industry has been telling EPA all along. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think uh, early on in the Trump administration with Scott Pruitt at the helm at EPA, we were kind of left in the dark as to what the agency was really thinking. Um, you know, Pruitt at the time, he was kind of going back and forth about whether the agency actually had that kind of authority. But, yeah, it's, it's absolutely right. Um, RFA, Growth Energy, all these Big ethanol groups um, have been pressing on EPA, trying to trying to convince them that they did have the authority. Um, you know, it's interesting though. Uh, there was a former EPA official that wrote an opinion piece earlier this week. Uh, he claimed that the EPA doesn't have the authority, and so, you know, as we talked about before, um, once this rule is finalized, which is expected sometime in May of next year. Um, you know, then I think a lot of these refining groups and others are going to have legal standing and we're going to see lawsuits. It's just the way it's going to be. But, um, yeah, I think this is a good signal. I mean, you know, the fact that Andrew Wheeler, uh, the head of EPA right now, um, has apparently looked at this issue rather closely and decided that they do have the authority, um, I think that's a strong place to be for ethanol right now. Also kind of calling on the oil industry to work together with them uh for the good of the country, uh, we'll see how that uh, how well that's received by the oil industry. Yeah, I I highly doubt you know we're going to see anything but objection at this point. I mean they they've more or less um, they've more or less stated their their place and what they intend to do. And you know we're hearing right here in the Midwest. I mean we're hearing all kinds of radio interviews with American Petroleum Institute uh, representatives trying to get out their message about, you know, their opposition to E-15, even right in the heart of, of Corn Belt country. And so uh, they're pulling out all the stops at this point. We're talking with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, we're also learning about the more waiver requests coming into EPA for uh, the waivers from the RFS. Now, we don't know if EPA is going to grant them, but we have a better idea of uh, how many are coming in. Yeah, uh, you know, that so far uh, the agency's gotten 15 requests uh, for 2018 here. Um, one of the most interesting parts of this, though, is that so far there have been no approvals or denials. And if you, if you compare the numbers uh, from 16 and 17 to what we're seeing now, uh, it appears that some of the refiners, at least so far, uh, are kind of backing off of, of sending in requests as, as much. Um, you know, Andrew Wheeler has come out saying that he's going to approach this in a, in a more cautious way than, than what the previous uh, head of the EPA was doing. Um, and so far, that seems to be the case, although um, I don't know to what point in the year, uh, you know, where EPA actually stops receiving requests. You know, this, you know, here we are, we're in October. Um, I would assume here in the next month or two, if there's going to be more requests, we're going to see those ramp up quite quickly but at this point it it just feels it feels different and we'll see if there's any change in policy when we start finding out whether or not they grant those waivers right absolutely and i 
you know, Whit Wheeler indicated to Senator Grassley, I believe it was recently, that he understands where the ethanol industry is coming from on this, and and I think, uh, you know, he's he's gotten the message, and and there's really no reason to believe at this point that he's not going to take things a little slower and, and maybe uh, study the issue a little harder. So doesn't it just feel like that finally, and we've been asking this question all along, why didn't the White House just tell EPA what it wanted to done on uh, renewable fuels? Uh, it seems like that message has now been sent and received at EPA. Now, we'll see where it goes from here, but it's from the public comments, there seems to be a change. Yeah, I think so. You know, um you know, Trump had said a lot of things about ethanol in the past couple of years. You know, it started all the way back early in the campaign. You know, he he uh, gave his allegiance to the RFS and, and seemed to understand the importance of the industry here in the Midwest. Um, I think, though, as, as we've gone along, uh, you know, the voices have grown louder and louder, um, you know, about concerns with the RFS and, and the markets and all the things that we see in agriculture right now with all the struggle. Um I think more than anything, Trump figured out along the way that not only did they have the legal authority, but there really was a good, uh, you know, a good side of this that if E15 is put forward, uh, it at least kind of, you know, leaves some of those concerns in the Midwest as to what's going to happen with this administration and agriculture in general. So we just, I think the thing to watch is this change in language uh, yeah. leading into the election just uh, you know, kind of posturing for the elections. Will we see that same uh, emphasis after the elections? Yeah, and you know, EPA put out an agenda this week, a fall agenda, and it's uh, it's moving right along on the E15 rule. They're they're planning to propose a rule in February, uh, with the final rule coming out in May. And so, uh, right now, it's on it's on the schedule. So we'll see what happens. Yep, it looks more positive than it has in a long, long time. And as you said, though, we'll, we'll have the the uh, the court cases, the legal challenges. Right. It'll be interesting to see, will that delay its implementation, or can they work through all that, go ahead and get it in place by next summer? Yeah, you know, I, I think it will delay it. Um, you know, the fact that right at the moment, uh, just an announcement doesn't give the refining industry any kind of legal standing. And so once a rule is actually finalized is when there's undoubtedly going to be the lawsuit. Uh, but we're already seeing kind of an undercurrent here that uh, we saw Casey General Stores and, you know, we've seen others make announcements uh, that they're going to go ahead and provide more E15 at more stations. And so if we see more of those announcements coming out in the next six months or so, I think it's really going to change the game a little bit. Uh, but honestly, I, I think either way there will be some sort of a, a court filing. It'll be interesting to watch, that's for sure. But uh, I think it is, yep. as we've noted, interesting to see the change and hear the change in the uh, the comments now coming out of EPA towards E15 sales year-round. All right, Todd, good to talk yep. with you. We'll, we'll check in again soon. Thank you. All right, take care, Mike. All right, DTN reporter Todd Neely. Coming up next, we'll take a look at hurricane damage to agriculture in the state of Florida. We'll talk with the Director of Public Relations for the Florida Farm Bureau. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. powerful threat calls for a greater response when there's a battle bring strength when there's a problem seek answers when there is doubt give hope 
Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at DoIHavePrediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. <laughs> They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, earlier this week, we got uh, damage assessments and reports uh, from North Carolina and Georgia uh, as they continue to deal with the, uh, the effects and the damage from uh, Hurricane Michael and, of course, uh, earlier storms as well, especially with the state of North Carolina. We heard uh, especially uh, Georgia really got hit hard by uh, Hurricane Michael and just at a time when uh, they were getting ready to, to harvest and a lot of that damage not only for this year but in the case with trees will be a long-term damage. Well what about the state of Florida? Joining us now is the Director of Public Relations for the Florida Farm Bureau, G.B. Crawford. G.B. thank you for joining us. Uh, can you give us uh, an assessment? I'm sure you're still trying to uh, gather that information but what can you tell us so far? Good morning Mike. Uh, we certainly are still collecting information. Hurricane Michael hit an eight-county region in Florida with a brutal punch. Florida Farm Bureau is still collecting information on agricultural losses from all sources, but we have a few preliminary reports. More than a million acres of crops have been damaged, and three and a half million acres of timber have been destroyed. Vegetable, fruit, tree nut, ornamental plant, and aquaculture producers are all still assessing their damages. We know that at least 85% of the cotton crop in the region is gone, along with 40% of the peanut crop, and those percentages are certainly higher, Mike, in, in some locations. Public agencies, private organizations, and individual citizens are all providing help, reaching out to, to help the folks in the region, and we all recognize that the challenge ahead for many farm families and other Floridians in the affected counties is an enormous one. They will face years of hard work to restore their farms and livelihood. Our thoughts and prayers are with each one of them, and we certainly thank all of the good people in Florida and across the nation for reaching out to help them. For our part, Florida Farm Bureau has established a hurricane relief fund to assist farmers and ranchers in this recovery. And for folks who wish to make a donation, Mike, they can write checks payable to Florida Farm Bureau Women's Fund with a memo note to Hurricane Michael Relief Fund for Agriculture, and the address is P.O. Box 147030, Gainesville, Florida, 32614. Now, this address is also on our main website at www.floridafarmbureau.org, and all donations to this fund are tax-deductible. Florida Farm Bureau is also helping to coordinate deliveries of water, 
building materials, fencing, and other supplies to folks in the region. And many of our local county farm bureaus have made heroic efforts to ship generators, food, building materials, and other items to the region as well. And I certainly don't want to uh, slight our, our public agencies or the American Red Cross because they have been doing their part heroically as well. GB, what's the situation with power? I mean, is is it off still in some places, or, or where does that stand? Mike, we were told Wednesday that uh, some rural locations will not have power for another 30 days. Hmm. There are some spots that probably will not have power for 45 days. As you know, the electric power companies work on the basis of populations, and we'll see power restored in most towns and cities. Rural areas are, are just another issue. So as we heard earlier this week from Georgia, I mean, when you're talking about crops that involve uh, trees, this is a long-term uh, damage. I mean, it's not like you just replant next year and start producing again. That's true. Uh, with timber, you're looking at uh, 20 to 30 years of cultivation growing time. And uh, some of the scenes up there in the affected area are, are just pictures of desolation. The timber has been snapped like matchsticks. We're talking with G.B. Crawford with Florida Farm Bureau taking a look at the uh, the damage assessment from Hurricane Michael. So what about uh, the infrastructure? Uh, that always that takes a long time to replace uh, and costs a lot as well. Uh, what, what are you hearing about some specific needs there? We're still uh, assessing... The, the needs, we're asking for our members and other farm families to, to send us their needs. Uh, we're working in tandem with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, our extension service here in Florida, and any other providers to uh, arrange uh, collections of uh, needs and also supply those needs. Uh, we probably will not have a full assessment available for another week. Now we heard we know from that Georgia. they need building supplies, venting, right. water, those kinds of things. They'll also need long-term support. Fencing materials, for example, uh, will require weeks and weeks of support because, as you know, you cannot put up a, a large fence over big acreage in a short amount of time. Yeah, that not only the material but the, just the, uh, the hours it will take to, to replace that, that's a big part of it. Now, we heard from Georgia earlier this week about – you know, they were looking at this great cotton crop, and before they could get to it, it was wiped out. Uh, tell us about the crop situation there in Florida. Only 15% of the cotton crop in the entire uh, region had been harvested before the storm. That includes uh, the panhandle part of Florida, uh, the southwestern corner of Georgia, and the southeastern corner of Alabama. So we know for sure that 85% of that crop is gone. And in some areas, it is totally lost. Uh, for peanuts, uh, that harvest had been ongoing, but uh, preliminary reports tell us now that 40% of the crop in Florida has been gone. And cattle, did you have any uh, cattle uh, that are, are displaced and are, you're trying to find them? We only have anecdotal information at this point. Uh, I can tell you that I've heard from a number of our cattle ranchers who have said that they have animals loose throughout their entire counties, and they have no way of accounting for their losses. They just know that they're out, and they do not have an ability to round them up just yet. I would guess, uh, as is usually the case in these situations, those uh, damage assessment numbers tend to go up as you're able to get out there and, and get a better look, and uh, people can kind of look and see what they've lost and what they're missing. Uh, then those numbers will probably actually increase. Mike, I'm sure you're right. Uh, we're talking about millions upon millions of dollars of losses. Uh, we, we probably will not know the final tally for another month or so. And it's got to be hard for people, I mean, when they're trying to look around and see what's happened and where everything's at and where do they go from here. Uh, so how are you reaching out to those people? Are you able to get in touch with them so they know what to do as far as get help? We've uh, sent people into the region, and they have tried to, to seek out folks individually. That's the best thing that we can do at the moment. 
Uh, communication lines probably will not be reestablished for another couple of weeks. Um, the the folks responsible for managing the cell towers tell us that uh, those towers will probably not be restored for uh, months. Uh, they'll have temporary uh, supports available for mobile telephone use. Um, we don't know about landlines. All I can tell you is uh, in an eight-county area there in Florida, there's been just a collapse of the infrastructure. There, there just isn't communication. The best that we can do at the moment is with some text communication, uh, but it's spotty. What about roads? Are, are you able to get around? Is there any flooding? What's that situation? There, there is flooding, um, although it's starting to recede because uh, we finally are getting some uh, relief with uh, dry weather. Um, I, I think the emergency crews did a very good job uh, cutting through uh, debris on roads. The main roads are, are fairly clear now. Uh, the problem is that every back road also has debris, and uh, some people are just having to hack their way through the debris to get out of their homes or, or move around. Hmm. All right, GB, could you go over that information again, uh, where people can go to uh, learn how they can help in any way? They're uh, welcome to make a donation to Florida Farm Bureau's Hurricane Relief Fund, and and that fund is available at P.O. Box 147030, Gainesville, Florida, 32614. And if they will make checks payable to Florida Farm Bureau Women's Fund with a memo note of Hurricane Michael Relief Fund for Agriculture, that will be a, a great help to our farmers and ranchers struggling for recovery. And they should know that all of those donations are tax-deductible. The same information is also available on our main website at www.floridafarmbureau.org. And we certainly appreciate everyone for their donations and, and their thoughts and prayers. All right, GB, thank you for the uh, the update. And uh, certainly we wish uh, the very best to all your folks there in Florida recovering from Hurricane Michael. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Mike. G.B. Crawford, Director of Public Relations for the Florida Farm Bureau. So like we heard uh, earlier this week from uh, folks in North Carolina and in Georgia, uh, a lot of damage, and it's going to take a long time to recover from uh, the hurricane. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk trade with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council, his thoughts on USMCA and uh, some developments with China and some other issues. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit FDA.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. Time now for a market update here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we see a few more minus signs in corn and soybean futures. Winter wheat defensive overnight, but firming up as this Friday moves along. Three to three and a fraction higher in Minneapolis spring wheat. The grain futures calming down after yesterday's trade. Investors, according to some of the early wire talk, looking ahead to a planned truck driver strike in Argentina. With the Argentine wheat harvest set to begin in a matter of weeks, the logistical barriers could have some impact on prices. Trending three to four higher in Chicago wheat an hour into this Friday, Kansas City two to three and a fraction higher and three to four better in Minneapolis spring wheat. In corn futures, we're one to two and a fraction 
lower. The ag weather forecast calling for mainly dry conditions during the next week to 10 days to help out the harvest in the Midwest, Northern Plains, Canadian Prairies too. Soybean futures two to three cents lower after selling off hard yesterday. The big range on a bearish session yesterday marking out the 10-day moving average support level and stalling right at the 20-day moving average support level in activity. November soybeans trading below the 100-day moving average since early June. December corn falling for a third session in a row yesterday. Make it four in a row on this Friday, at least so far an hour into the day. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures were a nickel to 52 cents lower, 35 to 40 lower in feeder cattle. Lean hog futures 52 to $1.35 higher. The Dow up 185 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk trade with Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, thanks for joining us. Want to get your thoughts on USMCA. Did uh, the pork gain in this new deal if it's passed, or was it kept what you had, do no harm, or how would you assess it from a pork perspective we're very happy with the deal Um, mexico and canada are two of our biggest export markets it was absolutely imperative that we maintain our ability to ship at zero tariff into both of those markets we did that so uh, it's a success for us we're happy Um, like any agreement or any relationship for that matter it's not perfect but uh, we're going to come out of our shoes to support it, and we're already uh, we're already laying the groundwork for an aggressive campaign. Was any damage done during this period of negotiation, as far as what was done with tariffs and uh, the situation with Mexico and Canada? Did you see it? See any damage that will carry over? Well, we're on three retaliation lists. We're on China metal. Mexico metal and China 301. So, yeah, um, I'm, you know, the average producer would, would tell, tell you, yeah, we've been hurt this year. Um, but producers have been patient because, you know, there's a realignment in U.S. trade policy going on here. Um, it's painful. We've really been at the tip of the spear. So, yeah, we've been hurt, but, um, yeah, long term, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's important to us that the, the metal situation between the U.S. and Mexico be resolved quickly because we've got a 20% punitive tariff on us. We've we got to get out from under that ASAP. But I think, you know, as you look at this agreement moving through the Congress, and again, um, we're going to be right at the front of the line supporting it, and I do think it'll pass. Um, I, I think we'll be okay in both Canada and Mexico. So no, I, I, in, in those markets, I don't, I, I don't see long-term damage done. Some may beg, beg to differ, but I, I don't think so. We're talking with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. All right, let's look to China. We're seeing that uh, with the outbreak of African swine fever in China, 
they are looking to Europe and South America to buy pork. Uh, what's your assessment of uh, the situation with China? Well, we've known for a long time that China is going to be a significant opportunity for pork producers all over the world, including the United States, and that's not changed. Um, we are on two Chinese retaliation lists. It's painful. Um, but we're also mindful that um, a majority of Americans support the administration's recalibrating um, U.S. relations toward China. And as painful as that is for pork producers, we don't really have any, cha- you know, any choice but to accept that. Um, I, you know, when you, you look at China, pork is such an important product. A number of years ago, I recall reading it was 16% of the consumer price index in China. Not sure it's that high today, but it's, it's high. And I think long term, they're going to, you know, they've only been importing about 10% of their needs. Long term, they're going import, to be importing a lot more. So, you know, today we're not, um, we're not shipping the volumes that we want to ship. Uh, long term, we're going to benefit from the China market. And even today, um, because of ASS there, it's putting upward pressure on global prices. That's helping it somewhat. It's been a tough, this was the year going into the year. Producers expected to make money. Then we're on three retaliation lists. And now the ASF situation is putting some upward, very welcome upward pressure on prices. So that's positive. But I think long term, China's a huge opportunity and we're going to, United States is going to benefit whether directly or indirectly. All right, let's look to other markets. We're hearing about talks with Japan. What's the potential there for pork? Phenomenal. Um, I just came back from Japan. We are static. I think MPPC was the first trade association in the country in the Trump administration back in January 2017 to call for a bilateral FTA with China. That was on the heels of the U.S. pulling out of the TPP, and, you know, we understood TPP was not going to happen, so we wanted uh, the next best thing, which was a bilat. Um, we've been a big cheerleader, leader, and, um, and it's happening. And we're going to get TPP-type access, which we have to have, because the EU has got um, a, an FTA with Japan that probably will be implemented next year, the TPP-11, now called the CPTPP, have a deal, which also probably will be implemented next year. Um, we get crushed in that market if we're not in the game. And I think the administration realizes that. And we're not the only American um, product that's in that situation. So I, I think, you know, this is very welcome news for pork producers. Um, we wholeheartedly support the negotiations. I think there are quite a few other, um, not only ag groups, but other sectors of the economy that are very happy that the U.S. and and Japan are going to be negotiating a trade deal. After Japan, is there another market that you would be significant for U.S. pork if we could get a bilateral deal with? Well, the fastest growing economic region in the world is the Asia-Pacific region, and our mantra um, since the U.S. pulled out of TPP, has been Japan, 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 and then Vietnam and the Philippines. And it looks like um, the U.S. and the Philippines, and they've been talking a lot. Um, Ambassador Lighthizer has publicly talked about the potential for trade negotiations between the two nations. We're very hopeful that um, the U.S.-Philippine trade negotiations get underway. That would be very good for us. We, um, we, we, we're, a little, we're well, not just a little, we're very skeptical about the EU talks, and we're delighted that the administration has made it very clear to the Europeans that agriculture has got to be part of those talks. And I think, you know, you're, you're going to see MPPC, and I, I think a lot of the other food and ag groups in the U.S. really pushing hard to make sure that ag is included and not just in some kind of symbolic way, but um, we've got to we've got to get not only tariffs addressed, but non-tariff measures, which, as you know, Mike, are um, a huge problem in Europe. They're extraordinarily protectionist. They're they're frankly luddites when it comes to 
technology and agriculture and a lot of other sectors of the economy. And look, competition and innovation are what make economies go. And we've just got to convince the Europeans that um, they've got to open up their, uh, their economies because they're, re- they're very protectionist. And uh, I, I agree with President Trump. We've got to look at that. They're competitors. And I, I know we've got a, a long history. Many of us come from Europe. But the reality is they're competitors. Um, the United States market is much more open than the European market. And um, we got to get tough, and we got to play hardball with them, whether it's on cars or other things. And I'm delighted to see that the administration is talking a tough game, and we're going to hold their feet to the fire because um, we're we're we got to have agriculture and, and pork <laughs> included in the deal with the EU. It's very important, and we're excited that the administration not only is talking about trade with the EU, but is insisting that add meaning, meaningfully be included in negotiations. Yeah, a deal with them has always seemed to be a pretty heavy lift, uh, as, you've ex- uh, as you've described, so we'll see if they can pull that off. But you mentioned the Philippines being such a good market. How big a market would that be for U.S. pork? be very big. I mean, we, when you look at Asia, it's, uh, you know, in terms of potential China, Japan, Vietnam, and then the Philippines. And there are a lot of other countries in that part of the world with great potential um, and, and markets that aren't necessarily today markets. Um, I mean, the Philippines is a today market. We already ship a lot there. And we've got some issues associated with our, our, our trade there. So we, you know, we're going to make sure that um, not only tariffs, but all our non-tariff measures get taken care of in that negotiation. But, you know, when you look at countries like uh, Myanmar, Laos, Cambodia, these are all going to be, in that region of the world, they eat pork. That's what they eat. You know, pork, of course, is the number one meat consumed in the world. Um, It's number one in Asia and Europe. And in that part of Asia, the, um, you know, long term for us, the opportunities are significant. Yeah, a lot of potential out there. Uh, do you feel better about the course, the direction uh, the administration is going on trade? Yeah, I think we've turned a corner. I think with the successful renegotiation of the Korea deal and now with Mexico and Canada, um, you know, we're able to exhale. And uh, it looks like we're, you know, we're moving from – uh, at least in our industry, because we've been on three retaliation lists, feeling like we're on defense to play an offense, and that's where we want to be. And when you're the U.S. pork industry, and you know you've been, uh, on average, the top global exporter the past ten years, on average, the low cost producer of the world, and you got phenomenal opportunity, and most of the opportunities outside the United States of America. So we gotta we gotta trade, and absolutely delighted that. Um, They've announced with Japan, and look, you know, the EU, we're skeptical, but uh, it's important. Uh, The U.K., we want to play there as well, and then we're really cheering for the Philippines and some of these other things. So, yeah, um, we think we're, we're moving on to offense now. Very good. Nick, good to talk with you. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Mike. Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Stay with us. This is AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. 866-504-0276. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. When it comes to squeezing the most fuel efficiency out of every gallon of diesel fuel, there's nothing better than Diesel X Gold from FS. Modern engines are designed with more power while preventing harmful emissions. Diesel X Gold keeps them operating that way with its advanced detergent chemistry that keeps injectors operating like new and its healthy dose of cetane improver that makes sure engines start quickly and combust fuel more completely. So count on Diesel X Gold from FS. Absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to and welcome back to and welcome back to you are 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 and welcome back to Adams on Agriculture we continue our look ahead to next year planning for next year and of course this is a time of year where 
farmers evaluate what worked and what didn't work so well this year and, and look ahead to making plans for next year. We want to talk about um, herbicide management and resistance management. These are big issues for all of agriculture. We're going to look especially at wheat production today. Joining us now is Paul Neese, Product Development Manager for Herbicides for Arista Life Science. Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, no doubt that the, the resistance issue is a, a, a huge challenge for agriculture today. Um, it definitely is. Um, it's on the forefront of all growers' minds, no matter what crop that they're growing. Specifically, we're talking wheat here today, and it's no exception. All right. So what advice do you offer? What tips do you give to wheat growers when they're looking at their weed management program of this past year and looking ahead then to next year? Well, Mike, you hit on one thing uh, right at the, the beginning, uh, looking and looking back and seeing what, what they did last year, evaluating the effectiveness of their program, what worked and what didn't work. That's, that's, a, that's really a key, looking at what, um, how you went out uh, the previous year and what what you did as far as all your planting and the herbicide you selected and timing and so forth is really important. So bearing that in mind, uh, some of the key things that we have to uh, uh, address or look at from a uh, weed control standpoint and managing resistance is, uh, first of all, you know, accurate identification of weeds, knowing what's going to be out there and then pairing that up with the, with the appropriate products to provide uh, effective control. Uh, going out with, from a clean field standpoint or a clean fields policy, if you will, uh, utilizing all the tools that are out there that fit your operation from a tillage standpoint, burn down, uh, and even um, different types of herbicides, pre's, and even in, in some cases in post, depending on what your your location is and, and uh, what you're growing. Um, one of the other things that we need to think about, too, and it, again, it, it holds for all crops as a zero tolerance policy when it comes to escaping weeds. Gone are the days where you have a few weeds out there and looking at your herbicide program and saying, well, they're not going to hurt my yield. Uh, with, with herbicide resistance today, we really have to have zero tolerance. That means no weeds out there and preventing the, those weeds that are out there, addressing those, removing those, controlling them, and preventing them from uh, going to seed and uh, re and uh, reducing that weed seed bank uh, in the future. Um, the other thing, uh, another thing to consider is the correct application of herbicides. If you've identified the weeds and you know what product's going to match up with it, you have to be able to apply that uh, properly to get the, the most out of that pro herbicide product. So we have to consider the, the, the proper timing of the herbicide when it matches up with the not only the uh, the crop, but uh, more importantly, the weed, um, using correct uh, nozzles in terms of spacing and pressure and all that are really important as well. Using full label rates of the herbicide products that are used and the proper application uh, recommended volume for that product. And, and in some cases, too, the appropriate use of adjuvants and, and water conditioning. So that's, uh, um, that's really... Uh, uh, those are really important key uh, factors to consider when any weed control program and how and specifically how it relates to um, uh, herbicide management. Another one very important thing is, is that we also have to use a comprehensive uh, herbicide combination and rotation strategy. What I mean by that is, is herbicide combinations are very important using two effective modes of action. In, whether they're in premixes or you're tank mixing yourself to really reduce the selection pressure on a single mode of action. You know, this includes the rotations of, of mixes, well, you know, within or across uh, cropping seasons as well. And, uh, again, like I said, I mentioned uh, uh, using rotations and so forth with products that are effective. So rotating or mixing uh, herbicides with modes of action that the that resistance is already present really doesn't do you much good. You really need to, if you can, use uh, combinations of active ingredients that have been shown currently to be effective on the weeds you're trying to target. And then lastly, some of the things we think of at the end of the year, moving things around and so forth, and as we're working to prepare 
for the next year is making sure your, clean, your, your equipment is clean as well. The last thing you want to do is go through all that work and then end up spreading weed seed back in areas that you've dedicated and implemented a, this comprehensive strategy and all these approaches I mentioned. So, so that's a lot of aspects. Yeah, a lot yeah. of aspects to a good weed management program. And as we looked Correct. at new products coming onto the market, uh, you have one to tell us about. Yes, uh, we have a uh, new product uh, called Battalion. It's a uh, it's a new cross spectrum herbicide that that really provides uh, unmatched weed control and flexibility in, in spring wheat, Durham, and winter wheat as well. Um, it's a unique uh, form- high performance formulation. It has three modes of action, providing uh, growers with an all in one solution for uh, grass and, and broadleaf weeds in a single application. So, Paul, as we look at uh, uh, an effective weed management program for next year, all these different aspects that you have mentioned, uh, and we have to look at it that way, right, a, a, a management program. And uh, if you uh, if you are lacking, lacking in any one of those areas, it could impact the, uh, the result at the end, and you may not get the result that you want. Yeah, that's correct. you got to look at it as all a program and a systems approach, all these components in and of themselves are important, but put all together, it's it's really greater than the sum of all those parts. And that's what you really need for uh, effective uh, uh, resistance management program when it comes to weed control. Because it's a never-ending battle with weeds. They keep evolving, so the, the management program has to evolve, too. Exactly. All right. Paul Neese, Product Development Manager, Herbicides for Arista Life Science. As we look ahead to uh, having a good uh, weed management program in place for wheat growers in uh, 2019. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the tips. Thanks for the tips. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for today as we kind of look ahead to next year, getting ready for next year. We'll also be looking ahead to next week. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.